Welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and are covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty, treaties to peaceably share and protect this land through friendship and respect. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect through conversation. So today we are going to dive into the cliche, write what you know. Yes, let's say it again, write what you know. And that's W-R-I-T-E, <laughs> write what you know. <laughs> I started thinking of it already on a, on a tilt, thinking of, well, what if it were write what you know? Like, write, like R-I-G-H-T, and then write, yes. Right. And then comma, what yes. you know. I mean, there's a poem there with all these things that we can play with. Absolutely. You could also use R-I-T-E as in a right, and it could be more of a ritual. Write colon what you know. <laughs> or rites, like rites of passage, like R-I-T-E. We had the idea that last season we talked about omit needless words and went on a fun journey with that. So this season, we thought, let's take another big lesson that's often shared with new writers and see where it takes us today. And often when you're first starting out and you're reading all the books and going to all the classes, somewhere along the way, every new writer hears the words, write what you know. And so Catherine, do you remember when you first heard these words? Or how often do you have any memories of this coming up for you? You know, I'm actually drawing a blank. And I don't know when I first heard this. And it's something that I have thought about, though, as a writer, and also as a teacher of creative writing. In some ways, I feel it's a well, like, I think of all rules like this, I think knowing what they are, and then deciding how they serve you on your writing journey, and a knowing in those ways that they can work as places of change and also opportunity, and how you actually interpret that particular rule. So write what you know. Already we were playing with the many ways that we could play with the words. And I think there's also many ways in which we can take those four words and find meaning that's relevant to our journey. And I think about write what you know, oftentimes what happens is it's that sort of you write from your life and this is what happened. And so because this is what happened was powerful, then that makes the writing powerful. And sometimes we start with that thinking, well, of course, it's going to work. But oftentimes we find it doesn't. And sometimes you'll hear that writer say, but this really happened. And that can be the case that it really happened. But what happens doesn't always make for art or for powerful writing. I think that's a really important lesson for, for early writers to, to, 
to hone in on because there is that transition that happens. And I think for me, when I think about write what you know, I wouldn't be a writer without having had life-changing experiences. And mine, of course, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, is connected to grief and the loss of my parents. So that brought me to the writing life. So that was something I knew. But when I think about that word, no, when it comes to that experience, I actually didn't know what was happening to me. And I think that that was what spurred the writing, the loss of my parents and what that was and having not experienced grief before and the confusing quality and the way that grief is more than one journey. It's many journeys and different ways that it works within us through time and also through moments of how we're dealing with that loss. So So many things there allowed me to have a relationship with grief through the writing process. So it's very much an ongoing journey. And I often think about write what you want to know, write what you need to know, write what moves you, write what you don't know. So I think this this rule has many ways of sparking different journeys for each individual writer. And I think if anything, it's helpful for the writer to find their way with this particular rule and how that rule works with them. I don't even like the, the word rule. I think just a way of looking at writing, to be honest, and, and how it can serve you on your journey. And your journey is going to change as well. So those are just some thoughts that are flying into me, just like the hummingbird does, Jessica. So what about you? Oh my gosh, I had so many thoughts while you were talking. And uh, maybe I'll start backwards. So when you were just talking about all the different variations of of write what you know. It made me think of how this is partially the why. Why we have to understand why we write to know what to write about. Or we need to feel comfortable to be in pursuit of the question and not know. It can be I, I agree with you, it can be this the same types of things. Like I, I feel like I have two writing selves. So I started really writing a lot when I was a child, I always loved story. So it started quickly for me. And it came from a place of joy. It came from a place of wanting to capture and connect the world around me. So I would write little poems about relatives, I would write stories about the lighthouse, I would write about the the trees and the leaves and the rocks, a lot of the same things I write about today. And I, I loved all the arts. I loved music. I loved drama and the theater. And I found that this was just I've been lucky because it was just part of part of what I did. And I, I don't know that I, I thought too hard as a child about this idea, write what you know, but that's what was right there. And I remember finishing my first book <laughs> in grade five, I wrote a little picture book and made all the pictures to go with it too, and had the pictures on the top and then the writing on the bottom. And it was an overnight adventure story of camping in the backyard. I guess that was part of what I knew, right? I was writing Mm -hmm. and taking the world that I knew, but then I was embellishing it or imagining, well, what if this happened when we were in the backyard camping? And what if this happened? And so there was that twist or that element of play I would even use today. But then as I 
went through life and different things happened. And I started to get more serious about being a writer. I feel like our stories cross paths because there were things that I didn't understand about my life and that I didn't understand about the role of creativity in my life from about the time I was a teenager onward. And it became more and more pressing for me to allow my pen to just sail across the page and take me wherever it needed to go. And I wrote a lot of different things that I understand now, but that I didn't understand at the time. And I think that's that's part of the experience when you have trauma that you've forgotten is that sometimes it can be right there on the page staring at you, but you don't see yourself in it. So I was writing what I knew, but I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't see it. And I feel so grateful that I had the experience of being able to write my way through those decades, because I think that's that's part of what kept me alive and kept me grounded and, and helped me heal and, and moved me through the pain, helped me to become who I am today. There's the, the writing journey of, of being a writer, or being a poet and publishing and, and sharing stories with the world. But then there's just this other journey as a writer of becoming who you are through the written word and allowing it to form you as it as you form it and and what a beautiful relationship that there can be that's happening privately that nobody else is really witnessing. And I feel that based on people I run into and conversations that I have, that there are a lot of writers out there who are quietly becoming on the page and, you know, their work might not be out and into the world and and they are writing what they know and, and not in any sort of cliched way, but they're they're writing it and in, in, in just letting it spill out. And that to me is such a beautiful way to engage with the self. It is it is such a beautiful way to engage in self-care. It makes me think, Jessica, of taking that phrase, write what you know, and shortening it to write to know. So it's it's the actual writing process that allows you into the knowing. And only through that are you able then to have, as you say, the relationship with the self and different ways that the material in working with it, because I think a component there that you've alluded to, for instance, when you were a child and making the little picture books and the story and the words and entering into the other places that could happen, even if they didn't happen, you're uh, bringing in the imagination. And I think that's a big part of where we can go with write what you know. You can often start with something that you know, or maybe you want to know more about. And then you can, in that writing process, allow the imagination to take its role with that and to almost meld it in and to mesh it in to see. So it becomes something organic through the writing process. And almost the only way to do that is through the writing process. So it's not something necessarily that you plan and that you think through beforehand. It's the actual writing and then entering in and going back to some things we've talked about, like the portal, moving into a portal, but starting with something that you know gives you that space to move into, see where it will lead you, and then see where it wants to go. But the imagination, I think, is so present when we're children, and it's available to us at any time of our lives. So the fact that we have that faculty, but it needs it needs a place to interact with. So in moving into these spaces of what you know, to find out what you need to write 
to know. I think it's endless, really. The knowing that can bring you into a place and then the knowing that can reveal itself as you move through it. I think that also brings us back as writers. I know it does that for me because in writing, I I learn what I write to know. And sometimes that knowing is just out of reach, but I get a glimpse of it or there's some little shimmer that allows me a sense of a journey and, and then wanting to almost get there but it's just like the horizon you never quite get there but you feel you've moved to get there and in that moving you have gone somewhere else I'm all lit up just taking us on such a wonderful journey there through your reflection I really really appreciate all of what you've just said and I feel like it would be wonderful to see if we could explore this through through an example yeah yeah you know I was thinking about this topic and Everything that we write connects to it in some way. Write what you know, write what you don't know, write what you want to know. But underneath it all, it's an emotional place that has its own inner truth. And because life is so interesting, it really is. It's interesting, too, when we can go to a place of something that has happened to us. And then in that starting point of having something that has had happened to us, see where it goes with the imagination And I'll share a poem now that is from my collection of poetry titled The Celery Forest. The Celery Forest is based on a painting by Cora Brinton. And a girl stands at the entryway holding a little owl at the entryway of this giant celery forest. So when I saw this painting, I was going through my own cancer journey and all the unknowns that I couldn't actually write about, I wasn't even writing about it at all. Uh, Not that I couldn't, I just wasn't there as a writer. It was something that was internalized at that time. But this image really opened up my writing journey and going back to Emily Dickinson, possibilities. Well, who is this girl at the entryway of the giant celery forest and why is she holding an owl? And it took me into the celery forest, much like I think of uh, Alice in Wonderland going into to through the rabbit hole and being in, a, in an other world, which has its own magic. So one of the experiences that I had during my cancer journey was going into an MRI machine. And I had never been in one before. And just like other things, you learn about what that experience is by being in that experience. What happened for me as a writer And because I was in this place of the celery forest, I went with what I knew moving into an MRI and that experience. But then I also moved into the imagination. And the poem is sort of a blend of the real and the imagined and going into the present of where the speaker is when they're in an MRI machine and the past to what's happening in their mind. So... I'll read it now. MRI. No metal implants or fragments, a long fibrous stalk. You signed consent, removed jewelry, face down through the donut hole, tapering into leaves, contrast material running through your veins, magnets, pinnet to buy pinnet with rhombic leaflets, still lie still. You've been given earphones, a padded table. Seeds are broad ovoids, 
cushioned openings for breasts to hang, grown in an open garden, thumping, clicking, knocks and taps. The celery's a cleansing tonic, whirs with car accident screeches, a father's skull, mother's mouth. Wide range of cultivars, the technician stands in a nearby room, inside a seed, inside a small fruit. Thank you so much for first the beautiful setup of the poem and then reading the poem. And I hope that listeners will go back and listen to this one again, because there's a lot happening there. I love that you you started by reminding us that this was within your collection called The Celery Forest, because that presence of the celery throughout this poem is really strong, right from that long, fibrous stalk. But you know that that's the celery, but then it's also the MRI. It's so interesting to see the relationship of life and machine weaving throughout and how you've so interestingly put the real and the imagined together and how this very awful machine, I've had MRIs done, not when I've been on a journey like yours, but just generally getting them done to try and solve health questions. There's just something so disorienting and disarming about that whole experience that takes you right out of that grounded feeling. And the way that the speaker of this poem, though, has connected the eeriness of that experience of an MRI to a feeling with the celery, I find that it it intensifies it in a way that is very much like you mentioned Alice in Wonderland earlier. And it's just sometimes helpful to use a comparison. And there are times with Alice in Wonderland where things are fun and imaginative, but then they teeter into this darker place where the the hairs on your arms stand up and you get the chill through your spine. And I found that with this particular poem, that that's where it took me to. It took me into that moment of our greatest fears, where we're in that unsure place of not knowing what is going to come out of this, this moment moment and just fascinating, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your reflections, Jessica, because poems can do as many things as we as people can experience. And I really appreciate that word disorienting because it's interesting to think about how how we can convey that as writers and yet at the same time own the moment by bringing in other things. And in some way, I hope this poem sort of does that by empowering the speaker, but at the same time, disorienting the speaker at the same time. And the way that those moments where we're, as you say, teetering on something, we don't know where we're going to be going. And we can feel the shift from one thing to another, but we don't quite know how the journey will unfold. I even think about when I was actually in the MRI, I remember I need to do some telling myself I need to do something with my mind right now. The noises and the way I had to hold so still and I just remember feeling so much fear and being overwhelmed at the same time. The more you are thinking about not doing something, the more you want to do it. (laughs) So the sense of wanting to move, 
as I'm telling myself, don't move and wondering how long this will be, not having a sense of time, being in that space of vulnerability. And it's so foreign because you've never experienced it before. What I did actually was I went to poetry. Some of my poems I have memorized and I have memorized a poem titled The Buried. And it's a poem that I may have mentioned in an earlier episode that was inspired by Tilda Swinton. And she was asked, where is it you want to be buried? She said, in a shallow grave of sand done up to the nines in a huge flowery chiffon dress stretched out like a sail on a beach in the Hebrides, packed to pieces by birds. And I, I took these lines and I weaved them into my own poem. And that was the poem that I had in my head. And I remember going through it. It's not a short poem. Well, for me, it's not a short poem because <laughs> it goes to the end of the page. But I kept saying it. And then when I was finished, I would start again. And then when I was finished, I would start again. Again. And that was how I focused my brain and my body and my heart and my imagination into a space that allowed me through that moment. So when I had to do it again, that's exactly what I did. I went to that poem, I gave it to me. And that is also something that we can give to each other and give to ourselves through memorizing poems. In this case, it was my own poem because I was going to be reading it. And so I wanted to challenge myself to to know the poem deeply. But I've also memorized other poets' poems. And, and I often tell my students to do that too, because in knowing the poem by heart, you are allowing the poem into you. And at moments, it can come to you and help you and be part of your life experience as I will never forget that poem as being part of my life experience. So even though it's not in this particular poem that I've just shared, it's part of my memory of being in the MRI machine. So it's sort of the backstory and Tilda Swinton's words inspired me to write the poem, The Buried. So it's interesting to sort of think about how each journey has its own journey within it and then how that in and itself layers something else but doesn't necessarily need to be present but is still there in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find uh, you're getting my mind going in all sorts of different directions here. I really love that idea of memorizing poems and we used to have to do that in school. When I was a student, we had to do that and then there was a shift away from that. I was an English teacher so by the time I was an English teacher, there was a shift shift away from, from that. And, and certainly in today, at, at, in schools anyways, the focus is on the critical literacy skills and students' capacity to make connections and to connect to self, those metacognitive pieces. So I think there's a lot less memorizing going on in terms of holding those words and that value of developing a relationship with a set of verses and phrases. Because when we think about write what you know, that poem that you just shared with us that you had with you that day became something you knew and then it became part of that and so we could take any poem that we love or even song lyrics I find I, I tend to when I'm in those moments my anxiety can be pretty high I'm not a fan of hospitals and I had uh, a year there where they couldn't figure out my my health. And I saw 12 different doctors in one year and had, I think, at least three MRIs done. And when I was going through that, I, I would bring songs with me and sing the songs in my head and just let them play over and pretend I was curating little concerts in my mind and what songs would I match together and which artists would be singing them. And I was taking what I knew and what I had with me in my mind and then using that as a way to transport myself out of a situation 
situation that physically was just so uncomfortable and unsettling. Isn't it a gift that we have the capacity to be able to do that, that we have the capacity to meditate and to practice breathing, that we can hold on to stories and memories and that they become part of other stories and memories is just so great. So this write what you know can really become that part, that last part of this, the, the what you know is really, what is our lifelong learning models? Where does knowledge come from? Knowledge can come from the land. It can come from our ancestors. It can come from formal education, informal social relationships, encounters with the arts and literature. What we know, we are learning all the time and we're always processing and receiving information. I think it can take us to, to so many, so many different places. And I brought a poem to share today too. If, if you think, I think we still have a minute. Yes, please. Tuck it in here that I wanted to share with you as a bit of, I picked this poem after you sent me yours to be a, uh, a bit of a conversation with your poem and it's a newer poem it's not been published in any of my books yet often when I write I'm sitting at the cottage in the summer I get in like this writing mood when I'm at my parents place in the summer on Georgian Bay and they have this beautiful wraparound porch that looks out at the water you've probably often seen some of my photos on social media because I also photograph it all the time sometimes I write what I see and sometimes I write what I what I don't see I find I don't tire ever of that view and it can be even just a simple moment sometimes that we can find a poem inside it can be just waking up and having that coffee and noticing what's there and what isn't there can be the what you know so this poem is called this morning a mirror i didn't see the bald eagle nor the gulls or crows in this awakening sky just long grasses in this bay still like a photograph the absence of ducks or geese sway from a breeze. Remember the black bears strolling in this beach, chipmunks and woodpeckers busy in the bush nearby. Where is the deer who stopped by this window last summer? It is so quiet now without the hum of bees or waves lulling on shore. This piece of stillness welcome and worrisome. Thank you for the poem, Jessica. So interesting to feel a moment and being present and in being in that present moment, connecting also to what isn't there. So those other moments are emerging mm -hmm. through the speaker, nor the gulls or crows, the absence of ducks or geese, but yet they also sway from a breeze. So even in the absence, there's this hint of presence and then when we go into memory, remember the black bears and then also the chipmunks and woodpeckers busy. And again, there's the present as if they are there. So it's interesting to sort of see how when we move into memory and we bring it into the present moment, they are part of the moment as well, too. And then the question, where's the deer who stopped by this window last summer? Again, the deer is in the poem, even though it isn't and even though it is not there for the speaker, it's there as well. The quiet, the way the quiet without something, but also then in that place of quiet, which can be empowering and often we seek it, it can also hold, as you say in the poem, worry, or in this case, it can be worrisome. So when we have that last line, welcome and worrisome, 
that and really yokes how something can be both and in that place of being both well hold hold that complexity be like a dialectic when i think of also the mirror being like a lake we've looked at gwendolyn McEwen's poem dark pines underwater which gives us the image of the lake and the mirror of the lake and so this poem is giving us not only just the mirror but also the mirror within so the speaker is going into what isn't there which can be worrisome Will these animals return? Will they come back? I think it's a really powerful ending. Thank you. Thank you. And I was thinking too how a place can hold those memories. When you have a place where you have developed a relationship with it, whether it's the MRI machine, (laughs) you know. It's a place, that's true. It's a place. I feel like that now that you've shared this with me and we've had this moment, the next time I need to go for an MRI, I'm going to bring your story with me right? And it's it's not going to be visible to me, but that energy is going to be there. And I am going to be looking for that energy when I go. And it's like having this place where my parents live, where my ancestors have lived for generations. Sometimes you have an absence of that energy. You're in the same space, but the energy isn't there. And you're wondering, what is this? What has changed? Is it just the lighting? Is it the fact that it's so still and there isn't a breeze? I feel like I have these hints of memories of what this place was like, but there's something that has shifted in the energy. It's it's almost like, you know, to really oversimplify it, I was sharing earlier that I had a bit of a cold and how yesterday there was a moment where I wasn't very happy with my house for no particular reason. And I just, everything looked dirty and I was just like, oh, I just have all this stuff. And I was just, I don't know, there was just something about my house I wasn't happy with. And then all of a sudden, It was like a switch flicked and I felt better as the cold healed. And I looked around the house and not even an hour had passed. And I was like, I love my house. What a great house (laughs) this is. But it was the shift in energy, right? Like, so the place place was the same. It was me that was shifting. And so Mm -hmm. any space that we bring ourselves into in terms of right what we know, what we know isn't limited to what's in our head. Mm -hmm. It's, It's part of our spirit. It's part of our body. It's part of our heart. It's part of all of us is what we know. And what a space around us knows and through that relationship is also pretty unlimited. And there's there's a mystery at work that's happening that's beyond what we can see. And if we can lean into that and open up to that and recognize that there's always something we don't know or that we can't see and be okay with that, then what I find starts happening is the perspective perspective starts to slowly shift. And I start to notice even what I don't notice. Things like I don't see the gulls. I don't see the ducks. I don't see any evidence that there's a breeze. And that can that can be an entry point to, to knowing as well. The absence has a presence. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that poem, Jessica, and for your insights with it as well. I appreciate as as we move from one poem to another, how there is that space between that they also speak and connect, bring us to more knowing. So thank you. You're welcome. So we'll see you next week. See you next week. Catherine Graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in Toronto. Jessica Outram is a Métis writer and educator, Coburg's fourth poet laureate, and assistant principal of Indigenous Education. The music has been generously provided by Shannon Linton. Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. dot